So we come back one last time to Hebrews and to the benediction. The word benediction is a word that means actually good words. And, and that's what these are. The author, as he finishes up the epistle, he finishes up with these good words. Many of the uh, epistles in the New Testament, the letters um, from, from Paul and Peter and James, uh, most of the time they end with uh, this sort of a benediction kind of a thing, just a sort of a pronouncement of, of God's blessing over people. And this one in particular is one of my favorites. I love this particular benediction. I love what it tells us about God. I love what it tells us about Jesus. I love what it tells us about uh, the, the faithfulness of God to complete the work that he started in us. And so I, I think it's, uh, it's a great text. It's, um, you know, I think it's an appropriate text for today since it is the last Sunday of the year. And so normally on the last Sunday of the year, I, I would want to kind of look forward into the next year, talk about the things that we might want to see God do in our lives. And, and I think the passage lends itself to that uh, kind of naturally, because that's really the gist of it, talking about how God is going to be faithful to do that work in us. So that's how we're going to approach uh, these two verses today. And so the writer, in his final words here, he says, now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. Let's stop right there for a moment. Now, he refers here to God as the God of peace. And if we remember the context of the entire letter, I think we see the connection. Because this has been a, a hard letter to write. And the author even mentioned that. Uh, it's, it's a word of exhortation. It's a word of rebuke in many ways. And it's a letter, uh, of course, that was written, as we've seen many times before, to people who had put their trust in Christ but were now wavering in their commitment. And they were even considering uh, turning back uh, to Judaism. And so throughout the letter, there are these strong warnings against that. And there's the reminder that God is also a God who judges. He's also a God of wrath. But that's really not his, his heart, if you will. Uh, that, you know, even amongst people today, a lot of times when you, when you talk about God, they think in terms of a wrathful God. They think in terms of a God who, who wants to judge. Many people in our culture today are, are, are very troubled by Christianity itself because of this element, because of the fact that Christianity talks about a God who will one day judge sin. And he had mentioned that several times over in the letter. He spoke of uh, the possibility of them uh, falling into the hands of the living God, which was uh, an unpleasant picture. 
as he painted. He talked about our God being a, a consuming fire. He talked about uh, how under the law of Moses, people uh, died without mercy. How much worse will the punishment be for those who have trampled the Son of God underfoot? So he's presented, in, in many ways, he's presented that side of God, that judgment side, that wrath side. But as we come to the benediction here, he brings it back around to uh, speaking of God as the God of peace. And you know, the reality is, although God does judge, although he will pour out his wrath, that's not what he primarily desires to do. When we think of God, we should not think of him first in the sense of judgment. We should think of him first in the sense of mercy and grace, because that's really his heart. As a matter of fact, in the prophets, uh, when God speaks of judgment, he refers to it as his strange work. You see, God does not want to judge people. God does not want to pour out his wrath upon people. God desires people to turn to him and receive his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness so they don't have to experience his wrath. You know, I've been reading through the book of Revelation uh, just in preparation to teach it here in a few weeks. And of course, the book of Revelation is a book about, among other things, it's about the judgment of God. It's about the wrath of God that's poured out upon the world. But as you read through it, even as you're going through, you find that there's a constant appeal on the, on the part of God to people to turn away from their sin so they don't have to experience his wrath. Because again, that's not really his heart. And so I think here, the author of the epistle in closing, in pronouncing this benediction, I think he wants them to come back and, and get the, the picture of God as the God of peace. He's the God who... Uh, made peace with us through the blood of the cross of Jesus. He's the God who wants uh, to be at peace with humanity. He's the God who wants to give us his peace. So he's bringing them back around, even though he's given these severe warnings, he's bringing them back around to see, no, the, the heart of God is a heart uh, of peace toward us. It's important that we have the right understanding of God. So much of the trouble that we experience as believers is due to our, our wrong uh, perception of God. So now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. He's the God of peace, but secondly, we could say he's the God of power. And the power is referred to here when he talks about the raising of Jesus from the dead. You know, if you want to talk about God's power, you can talk about creation because that's certainly a demonstration of God's power. He creates everything from nothing. He brings the whole universe into existence by simply a, a spoken word. Uh, that is a demonstration of power. But when it comes to the New Testament, when the New Testament speaks of the power of God and wants to emphasize the power of God, you know what it points to? Not creation necessarily, but it points more frequently to the resurrection of Jesus. That is the place where God demonstrated his power in raising Christ from the dead. Remember, Jesus died in our place. He died for our sin. And sin had kept everyone in the grave up until this point but Jesus broke uh, the, the power of sin as God raised him from the dead. And that was a great demonstration 
of God's power. So now may the God of peace, may the God of power, we could say, but then he refers now to Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, that great shepherd of the sheep. And I think in, in this, what we're being reminded of is that he is also a God of tender mercy and compassion and care, because that's what the picture of the shepherd is in scripture. Whenever we have references to God as, as the shepherd, it's always seeking to communicate to us the, the tender mercy of God or the compassion of God or the concern of God uh, for the well-being of his people. And I love this reference to Jesus here. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. Back in Genesis chapter 49, that's the first time that God is referred to as a shepherd. But then the classic passage, of course, is the 23rd Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd. And David so beautifully paints that picture there of how uh, God shepherds us and watches over us. When we come to the New Testament, Jesus says about himself, you remember in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And now here the writer to the Hebrews refers to him as the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep and his primary concern, his great uh, occupation, if you will, is to make sure his sheep are taken care of. To make sure that we are watched over, that we are protected, that we are provided for, that we are guided and led in the, the right way. So you see, as he closes the epistle, he wants, I think, just to bring everything back into perspective because he's been warning them, but now he wants to remind them, listen, all of these harsh and severe warnings, they're due to the fact that you're considering moving away from the great shepherd of the sheep. Don't do that because he is the great shepherd. Don't move away from the God of power who raised Jesus from the dead. Don't move away from the God of peace, but abide there, remain there. But then from there, he moves into speaking of the covenant. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work. Now, it's interesting if you take this and just you know, break down what he's saying here. He brings them back around to the covenant. Now, much of the epistle has been dedicated to speaking about the contrast between these two covenants. There's the, the Levitical covenant, the covenant that Moses uh, received and gave to the nation the one that was a covenant of fear, one that was uh, largely contingent upon their obedience to it, their ability to, to perform. And then there's the new covenant. And he's spoken much about the new covenant in the epistle. And that's the covenant that he's referring to here now. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You see, the new covenant is not contingent upon our ability. The new, the new covenant is totally dependent upon what Christ did. 
And so it's through the blood of the, notice it's the everlasting covenant. It's a covenant never to be altered. It's a covenant never to be broken. It's a covenant never to be done away with. It's a permanent covenant. And it's that covenant that we have entered into through our faith in Jesus. And so notice what he's saying though. He's saying through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. You see, what they had forgotten (coughs) and what we sometimes forget as well is that this new covenant is about what God has done and what God will do in our lives because of his faithfulness. And when he refers here to the covenant, he's really making a reference to the faithfulness of God. And again, in its original context, he's reminded them, look, God is faithful. He made a covenant with your fathers. They didn't keep the covenant. They broke the covenant. He made a new covenant. And that's the covenant that we've entered into. And God is faithful in keeping his covenant. So he's going to uh, complete what he started. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. That's really the message of this benediction. The benediction is really just a reminder of the fact that God is faithful. He started a work. He's going to finish what he started. Remember, he told us earlier that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And this is the message of the New Testament. You know, the message of the New Testament is unlike any other message that you will find in any other religious system. There's nothing like it. And when you hear people today say things like, well, you know, all religions are alike and all religions basically teach the same thing. Well, you know, that is true to some extent with one exception. You can't say that about the teaching of the New Testament. You can't say that about true biblical Christianity because although all the other religions do teach basically the same thing in the sense that you approach God and obtain God's favor in the same way, that's through being a good person, being the best person you can, following the particular rules depending on the religion. That's what all religions do teach. Christianity does not teach that. Do we realize that? Christianity does not teach it. It's a completely different message. I had the opportunity last week to talk to somebody who we had this conversation. It came up and uh, you know they were talking about not really being a good Christian and just... Anyway, in, in the course of the conversation, I said to them, I said, you know, let me, let me just explain something to you. The Bible doesn't really speak in terms of, of you trying to be good enough to become a good Christian. The Bible speaks in terms of God doing something for us. The Bible tells us that there's no way that we can do anything to obtain the favor of God. We can't win God's favor by doing certain things. So the Bible presents a picture that there's only one thing to do, and that's to believe in Jesus who did everything that needed to be done for us. And as I shared that truth with uh, these couple of folks, you know, for them, that was completely 
new. They had not heard that, even though they would consider themselves Christians, but they'd never heard that you, you, know, you don't work your way into God's favor. You believe in Jesus and God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. They had not heard that. So this gospel that we know, that we uh, have embraced, that we sometimes take for granted, we forget that most people don't know anything about this. They have a religious idea, but they don't understand the gospel. The gospel is that it's God who is going to make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful thing. So when you look at this passage, when you really consider what it's saying, what it's essentially saying is that the good works, all of those things that God certainly wants to work into our lives, they come through Jesus Christ. They're worked in us through Christ. They're not me trying to you know, grasp them, trying to attain a standard of goodness or righteous living. They're Christ working out those things in me because he dwells in me. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. Now, here we are. As we've mentioned, we're on the last Sunday of the year. We're looking forward to a new year. I would imagine that there are some of you that are already thinking in terms of New Year's resolutions. You're already thinking in terms of uh, probably many of you, like myself, things you're not going to eat in the new year. I am not going to eat any C's candy in at least the first few months of the new year. That's my commitment so far. But you know, of course, when we come to a new year, I think most people, most Americans anyway, um, you know, we, we, okay, we've got a new opportunity, we've got a new year coming, we're going to make some adjustments, we're going to make some changes, we're going to eat less and exercise more, we're going to spend less and save more, we're going to finish that project that maybe we started a few years back and never got around to finishing, we're going to do that. You know, we make these resolutions, and on, on that level, that's all fine. But then we also do similar things spiritually, which is okay if we understand one thing. It's okay to make spiritual resolutions to say, uh, you know, I want to I wanna be in God's word more. I want to pray more. I want to share the gospel more. I want to be more committed to fellowship. I want to uh, serve God in a greater way. It's, it's great to make those kinds of things as long as we understand that the way that's going to happen is not by us setting up a new list of rules that we're going to put forth our, our, our greatest effort to keep. It, it's only if we understand that this is going to happen as we just simply cultivate our relationship with Jesus. You see, Christ is in us. And that's what the, the passage is reminding us of. <coughs> that he is dwelling in us. That's how it is that God's going to work these things in us through Jesus Christ. It's through the presence of Christ in our life. And as we simply give ourselves over to him, yielding to him, surrendering to him, uh, just, Lord, I want to be those things that you desire me to be in the days ahead. And as we are sincere about that, 
And as we dedicate ourselves to that, that's how everything is going to come to pass. You know, I was talking to a lady this morning after one of the services, and she was, uh, you know, she was just saying, I, everything you were saying today, I, you know, I want to do that, but I got all this other stuff, and I got to, uh, and I said, well, I said, wait a second. Now, so are you telling me that you need to first go clean up all of this mess over here. And then when you get that sorted out, you're going to come to God and say, okay, okay, now God, here I am. I'm ready now for you to do this thing in my life. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're thinking? And she kind of looked at me like, oh, maybe that's what I'm saying. I said, well, listen, that's not the way it works. That's what we think so often, but that's not the way it works. How does it work? We come to Jesus just like we are. Lord, I'm in a mess. He's not saying, you go clean up your mess, and then you come back. And when you get that sorted out, you come back, and then we'll talk. He says, no, you just come to me with the mess, give it to me, and I'll take care of it. And I'll work these other things out. That's the reality. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You know, so often I feel like as Christians, we are constantly living under this pressure or this sort of, this sense of anxiety where we, we just constantly feel like we're failing God. We're feeling like we can never get to the place where we're actually pleasing him. I remember when my oldest son was uh, a young boy, you know, I don't know, nine, 10, whatever it was, I don't remember. But he went through the season where on, on a regular basis, we had to have a conversation about whether or not he was gonna go in the rapture, whether or not he was going to make it to heaven. He just, he just wasn't real confident that that was going to happen. And so almost on a nightly basis, Cheryl and I would hear this, mom, dad. And Cheryl knew it was a time for uh, me to go and talk with him and, you know, talk him through these things. And, and so I, I would do that, you know, almost nightly for quite some time. And we would kind of go through his fears and things like that. And we would talk. And, and I remember one time, I think he was about 10. And, you know, the fear was he wasn't going to make it to heaven. And, you know, if the rapture came, he was going to be left behind. We were all going to be gone when he woke up in the morning and all that. And I said, so I said at one point, I said, so Chart, just, you know, what... And what is the problem? What is the, why do you feel this way? He goes, well, I just don't know if I've done enough stuff for God. And I said, well, Char, you're only 10 years old. How much stuff do you think God wants you to do for him? <laughs> but I share that story because that just, it's not only the case with 10-year-olds, is it? You know, a lot of times, that's how we live our lives. We, oh, I just don't know if I've done enough for God. So we live with this constant anxiety. We live with this constant fear. And quite frankly, sometimes preachers are the biggest problem because they make us feel like we're not doing enough for God. You know, for some preachers, and I used to be one of them, it's a, it's a good service if everybody leaves really miserable. If everybody leaves feeling like they're real failures spiritually and they need to really, you know, get their lives together. And, you know, that's okay occasionally because that does need to happen, right? But if you hear that week in and week out and every time you come to church, you're basically just being told what a loser you are and how you're never going to get right with God. And that gets discouraging after a while, I think. 
But my point is this, this passage doesn't give that impression at all. This, these are good words. They're, good, they're words of blessing. They're reminding us that it's God who's doing these things in us. And I do not believe for a moment that God wants us to be living our lives as his people, filled with anxiety, filled with fear, filled with expectation that there's some judgment that's just around the corner because I am such a bad Christian. That's not the picture that we get from the scripture. We get from the scripture, now may the God of peace who brought up the Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who loves you, the one who cares for you, the one who's committed totally to making sure that, that you are spiritually taken care of. May that God, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, do that. You see, that's the whole thing. It's God working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so as we think about this blessing in relation to the future, I want you to remember that he that has begun a good work in you is going to complete it. And I want you to think in terms of, yes, we want to, I, I want to, I want to grow in the Lord in the year to come. I want to be more faithfully a person who is uh, committed to God's word. I want to pray more. I want to serve the Lord more effectively. I want to be a better brother and sister, or uh, I'll be the brother. Um, I, I, I want to be a better brother to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I want to uh, be more effective in sharing the gospel with people. I want to do all those things. But I know that that's going to happen not by me putting a list on my refrigerator every morning saying, okay, I got to go out and do these things. No, I know it's going to happen as I just give myself over to the Lord. As I just make him the priority, Jesus, I want you, I want more of you. And of course, the way I'm going to get more of him is by spending time with him. And I spend time with him by uh, meditating on his word. I spend time with him by communicating uh, in prayer. I spend time with him by gathering with the saints for times of worship. I spend time with him just in the privacy of my own heart and mind and all that. But you see, here's the thing. As we do that, as Christ is uh, settling down in our hearts, as Paul said to the Ephesians, Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, as that's happening, all of these other things are going to proceed from our lives as the natural outflow of what's going on. And that's the picture that he's painting right here. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete. God is faithful, that's what he's saying, to make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Isn't that beautiful news? God is going to work in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. And how's he going to do it? He's going to do it through Jesus Christ, through the indwelling presence of Christ. 
So Christ is there. If you've received Christ today, he's indwelling your life. And as you just give yourself over to him, again, as I was talking to the woman, I was, I was just telling her, look, this is not anything you have to wait for or you don't have to go somewhere. It's a transaction that happens. It just happens like right now. It's a supernatural transaction that takes place. It's just you saying, Lord, here I am. I, I'm, I'm freshly surrendering. My, I'm giving myself a fresh to you. That, that's it. In sincerity, of course. And as you mean that, God takes you up on that. And he does that work in our hearts. And because he dwells in us, we are prompted by the Spirit toward the things that are going to please him. And so, again, our, our job is really just to respond to the promptings. We're prompted through the word. The word, we read it, it speaks to us. We, it speaks to us in a way we've, we sense that, man, God's speaking to me through this. I respond to it. The Holy Spirit prompts me in certain things to forgive, to reach out in love, to be patient, to be compassionate, to be a servant, you know, those things. But it's the spirit that's doing that. And, and I, my place is, I'm just responding to that. And that's the picture that he's painting. And all to the end, that Jesus Christ would be glorified forever and ever. You see, that's the beautiful thing. As we give ourselves to the Lord, he works in us in such a way that he gets the glory. He gets the glory. People look at, and even if they don't agree, even if they think, I, you know, I don't believe that, that Christian stuff. Somebody was telling me earlier that they had been sharing with a friend and, and the friend, you know, didn't, wasn't really interested in Christian because it was, it was non-scientific. You know, Christianity's against science, course, that's not true, but uh, that was the, the perception of the person. But the reality of seeing what God has done in the lives of people, that outweighed the other consideration. And that's what happens. You see, as we are filled with uh, the, the, the Spirit of Christ, and as we're walking in the Spirit, and as Jesus is guiding us and he's living his life through us, people are drawn to that and he is glorified. And that's, in the end, what it's really all about. It's all about him receiving the glory forever and ever. That's what our lives are to be about glorifying Christ. And so we're passing from one year into another. And maybe you look back over the past year and you think, you know, I failed so many times. I didn't really live up to my expectations. But you know, the good news is that we can forget the things that are behind and look to the things that are ahead. 
whatever our successes or failures, we just look back and say, you know what? It's, it's gone. It's over. It's past. I can't change it. But I've got a new day. I've got a new week. I've got a new year ahead of me. And I've got the grace of God and the God of peace and power and love and mercy and compassion. He's with me and Christ indwells me. So Lord, here I am. I'm just yielding myself to you. And I pray that in this year to come, you would be glorified. You say that, you mean that, and guess what? God will do it. He will do it because he's faithful. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this specific word, these good words that we've read here today, reminding us of the fact that you're a good God that you're a loving God, you're a faithful God, and that you're the God who is working in us to will and to do of your good pleasure, that Christ Jesus might be glorified. And so, Lord, here we are today thanking you for mercy, thanking you for forgiveness, thanking you for cleansing of sin, and thanking you, Lord, for a new opportunity, a new day, to move forward with you. So help us to do that, remembering that you are the God of peace and power and grace and mercy and resting in that and finding as we rest that strength, that peace to glorify Christ. In his name we pray, amen.